0: What's up mom and dad? Welcome back to a brand new episode of The Raising Competitors Podcast, a weekly show designed to equip you with strategies, lessons, and stories to help you raise your youth athlete with grit, gratitude, growth mindset, and leadership for success not only in sports, but in school and throughout life. I'm your host Jake Thompson. I'm the founder of Compete Everyday. If you're not familiar with us, I'm so excited you're here. This brand new show is something that I've just been so incredibly excited to launch. We've been working on it since the end of last year. We're excited that May of this year, we finally started releasing episodes, releasing content around this idea of raising the next generation of healthy competitors, kids that have that grit, mental fortitude, hard work ethic, focus on being their best selves. Because we know that they're the ones that will end up making the greatest impact. And so I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're investing in your household, in your family, in your kids' future by listening to The Raising Competitors Show. On today's episode, I'm excited to welcome to the show John O'Sullivan, the founder of Changing the Game Project. If you haven't checked out John's work yet, I want to highly encourage you after this episode to check out changingthegameproject.com. John's created a movement to change youth and high school sports by educating and empowering parents, coaches, and youth sports organizations. He wants to put the play back into the game. John has a very interesting career where he spent as a professional player, coach, and now his work with coaches, parents, and youth athletic programs to help them get the most out of their kids, the work that they're doing, and setting those kids up for success in life beyond just sports. John and I get into the youth sports landscape, the lessons he's learned throughout his work since starting the Changing the Game project, and some important insight for parents when dealing with different situations with coaches that your kid may be playing, your kid may not be playing, how do I handle this certain situation, John shares some great insight because Honestly, there's no black and white solution. There's a lot of gray area, and we don't necessarily know when we need to intervene and when we let need to sit back and let our children learn. But John provides some great insight into those situations to help us evaluate when we need to step in. I hope you enjoy this conversation. If you haven't connected with the show in the community, I want to highly encourage you to check out raisingcompetitors.com. The entire episode is coming before you. In future episodes, we'll have some bonus content that will be available only to our members. But today you luck out, you get the entire show and my fantastic conversation with John O'Sullivan.
1: John, welcome to the show today. How are you? Jake, thanks for having me on, man. I'm super excited to be here. I I am as well. I'm very
0: excited to introduce you and and Changing the Game Project with our listeners because it's something I've become a big fan of. Before we dive into really talking about youth sports, give us a little bit of background on what brought you ultimately to starting Changing the Game Project um, and the work that you're doing right now.
1: You know, I'd been an athlete and got injured, had to stop playing when I was about 26. Um, And so I got into coaching and I fell in love with coaching right away. And I think a lot of people fall in love with coaching because what you miss about sport is sort of the camaraderie of the locker room or the bus or the team. And so I thought that coaching would replace it. And it really doesn't in, in the same exact way. But I just fell in love with coaching and, and giving back to sport and working with kids and all that fun stuff. And so I coached Division One College for a couple of years as an assistant coach. I got into the youth space, ran some youth organizations. And then in 2011, 2012, I, I just wanted to try to make a little bit of a bigger impact and influence not just my teams or my organization, but share the things that I had learned through 20 years in sport coaching through as a parent of kids who were starting out in sports as a mentor to many athletes from the youth to the high school to the college and even the pro level and sort of give back that's kind of how changing the game project was was born first as you know I, I wrote a book called called changing the game and soon discovered that it's actually not super hard to write a book. It's really hard to sell a book. (laughs) And so I started a blog and that led to a TED talk. And now we have a podcast called Way of Champions as well. So we're just out there trying to reach a lot of people on social media or on blog or who like to listen to stuff and um, just you know, trying to give them good, trusted information so that they can make better decisions about their coaching or helping guide their kids through sports.
0: I love that. And so that actually surprises me. I was curious if there was like, because a lot of the focus for the Changing the Game Project is helping, like you said, coaches and parents. Was there like a single incident or issue that that prompted you to write the book, or, or really just said, "I've got to get this book out because people need to understand this better and know more about this."
1: You know, in my TED talk, I, I I speak about an incident watching my my daughter when she was six year old six years old play, and you know, watching this typical six year old soccer game. Uh, you know, and there's a big blob of players and they can score in both goals and they're equally excited and just the parents are positive and there's obviously no need for a referee and the coaches are, everyone's great. Everyone's understanding of the process that this is hard and they're not supposed to look great. And then, you know, right next door, there's a 10 year old boys game and it's a, you know, quote, competitive soccer game. And it's competitive, not cause the kids are competing harder. It's the adults competing harder. And uh, just looking at the two going, is anyone on my field hoping that's what it's going to be like four years from now? And that was kind of a, a trigger moment for, for me in combination with a few other things in family life and maybe being burned out on sort of the day-to-day being on the field for a while and wanting to do something different. Um, and, and sort of that's how it was born. And, you know, in hindsight, I can pick out a lot of moments for sure. But I, you know, there, there wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't like at that day on the field, I said, I'm going to write a book tomorrow because that's not exactly what happened. But it was certainly uh fuel for the fire. <laughs>
0: I, I love that you pointed that out because a lot of the times when we, when I talk to people, especially you hear all these stories of ways they want to encourage their kids, teach these kids certain lessons that the kids haven't developed yet. And, and so the parent wants to invest in that kid. But many times you go into these sporting events and it's a lot of times the parents on the sidelines that need the help with certain aspects that they want the kids to learn. There's a lot of parents in youth sports that get it. They, they understand it's about the kid. It's not about the parent getting the status from the kid or through the worth. But there's, as we know, a lot of parents that don't. In your work, have you seen how youth sports leagues... And parents who understand healthy youth sports are able to get those other parents onto essentially the same page.
1: Well, certainly, when we model good behavior or we model a right pathway, the other people around us are more likely to to do that. You know, I always use the example. I think in New York City, I forget the the, the decades, like the '90s into 2000. They they talk they. Talked about broken windows policing, right? That the way to clean up your city to reduce crime was not necessarily to throw everybody in jail, but it was to clean up your neighborhoods. And when there was graffiti, you paint it over. When there was a broken light bulb, you fix it the next day. And you create the conditions where crime will not exist. It's not comfortable to commit a crime there. And I think the sidelines of our sports are like that as well. If we create the environment, if we create the conditions where it's not comfortable to act like a lunatic because you're the only one, or, you know, it's not comfortable in this club to coach a certain way that makes kids miserable and drives them out of sport because that's not how we do things here. That's a far more effective way to make changes than you know, all these arbitrary rules and regulations around it, you have to change the system. You have to change the environment. And I think the organizations that are working on doing that are the ones that are having the big impact and the ones who are coming up with more codes of conduct and more rules and more regulations are finding that they don't really work because rules are always there to be broken.
0: <laughs> I love that. And, and so I guess on that same note, there, there's always an opportunity where a player isn't getting the playing time they want. And, and the older they get, the more um, parents sometimes, I guess, want to step in on those pieces. And so my question to you from your experience, and, and I'm just actually naturally curious, is we're always going to have opportunities where we don't have bosses or coaches that we necessarily get along with, and that coach may not play us. However, that's a part of life, and it's something we learn in sports when do you see that the parent needs to step in or the league needs to step in with a certain coach um, or the parent move the player to another team? And then when should they should just use it as a teaching opportunity?
1: Yeah, that's a big question. I mean, I think, I think we can certainly easily talk about the outskirts of that, right? That, you know, when you're ha- your kid is on a seven-year-old team, all those kids should be playing half a game, right? And when your kid is on a college team, the best kids are going to play, <laughs> yep. right? And maybe a high school varsity team. And then you get into the gray as you get towards the middle of that. Well, what about a JV team? What about that? But I, I, I do think this, that certainly in club sports, where people are paying a lot of money to be there, right? Right? if you pick them, you should play them like the idea that you're going to take a 12 year old and not give them game time because they're good enough. Then why did you take them in the first place? That makes no sense. Just let them play on the B team and and let them get better because that kid is going to quit and that kid's going to walk away from sport. So from my own personal philosophy, right? Kids on my teams, if they're making the commitment, if they're showing up and I've taken the time to pick them, I have to give them a chance to perform in different you know, places throughout the game. They have to start some games. They have to finish some games. They have to play when it's tied. They have to play when we're down. They have to play when we're up a goal. Um, that's the only way they're ever going to develop and I'm ever going to know anything about them. And I think countries and organizations that have taken, taken that decision out of coaches' hands for, let's say, 14 and under,, you know, before kids are finishing puberty, that those countries are producing high-level athletes on at a far greater scale, and they're making it easier on the coaches who now don't have a playing time decision to make because, hey, I have to do this. So now guess what? I have to develop every kid. I have to coach every kid. And I think that's important. So, you know, that's kind of a long winded way to get around to your question, which is, as a parent, you know, number one, know what you signed up for. <laughs> right. And if they put front and center on our website, we're about development and all our kids play and you have a coach that isn't playing your child, then advocate for that. Say, hey, I paid you money for A, and that's not what we're getting. Is there a reason why this is happening? Um, B in certain games or certain scenarios when your son or daughter is disappointed because they didn't play a lot rather than just lashing out, you know, if it's a one-off thing, well, what's, what did you learn from this? What did you, what did you, um, you know, what's good about this experience that you can work on that's going to make you better. You know, I've had kids in a state championship You know, a state cup tournament for middle school age kids, and the kids care and they want to do well. And then the week before a game where we're working on how we're going to play, some kid doesn't show up to practice both days because they make a different decision to do something else. And they've missed out on everything we've done to prepare for that game. Well, they're probably not going to play as much. But I'll tell them, hey, you know what? You weren't at practice this week, everyone else was. And you have to live with the decisions or the choices that you make as well, so it's it's a it's a big gray area, but there's always something to learn, but those learning lessons they can you know they can disappear if if a kid never gets to play because now it's not a lesson anymore it's just punishment
0: yeah and I know that You've talked about this numerous times, and, and our mutual friend James Leith that I've talked about that works with your team as well, I've talked about of kids that quit because they just don't have fun. Like They have a poor experience with a coach, they don't ever play at all, um, or they get into a situation where the sport is not that serious, it's about having fun, it's about learning the basic skills, and that poor experience completely pushes them out of sport altogether for the rest of their life. Um, which is always fascinating uh, to me. And I know you do a lot of research in that space about helping kids to have fun with the game.
1: Yeah, sure. And and I think number three on the list in in the research of what makes sport fun is getting playing time, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. So right off the bat, it's not gonna be fun if kids don't get in games. I mean, that's why they're there. And I think also in practice scenarios and practice environments, I mean, the idea that you don't get to the game at the end that you're not going to scrimmage. I think so many coaches use, hey, we'll scrimmage as as sort of a weapon I weapon. I mean, if you never actually play, those kids aren't going to keep coming back. Nor does it really make sense in a team sport and a dynamic game like soccer or lacrosse or or football, where you have have to actually play the game to learn the game. You cannot learn it by breaking it down into its tiny component parts without putting it back together.
0: Yeah. Let me ask you this. I want to switch gears just slightly because it's a really popular topic right now in youth sports is the specialization. And there's people obviously on both sides of the fence, depending on what sport background you're coming from. In today's world where parents can just as easily, if not more so, get caught up in, in social media and recruiting stars and my kid has to play baseball year-round. What are the words of wisdom that you're continuing to encourage the parents about letting the kids have an off-season, letting the kids play other sports and really the importance of that?
1: Well, again, I think every, every child is an individual and so all generalizations end at the individual level. So every kid's different. Some are super hungry and all they want is this one thing. But as the adult in the room, we have to say, you need to rest. You need to get stronger. You need to develop as an athlete. Some kids, three months, I'm done with this. I want to try something else. Man, that's great. Let's go sign them up for programs where they can do that and they can sample sports, especially when they're young. I I think one of the biggest mistakes in the real world that we live in depending on where you live i imagine you know you're in the dallas area yep. you know around the age of 9 it becomes really hard to play multiple sports if you're good because you get pulled into these year round programs for almost any sport yeah so certainly when you're introducing your kids to sports at 5 or 6 or you know let them sample let them try lots of things because if you only play soccer then the opportunity to try stuff later on is not going to be there like it is, you know, in bite-sized pieces when they're, when they're really young. And then as they get better and they invest more in it, I mean, even pros get an off season and they get downtime and they work all year round on developing, not just their sports specific muscles, but their all around athleticism. So they don't get injured. So my advice to parents is always this, your child has to have a multi-movement experience. The real that. world might say that has to come within a sport um, and that's doing yoga or martial arts on the side or hopefully your sports club is is providing that stuff. Or it's a multi-movement experience by trying different sports and preventing burnout and all that different stuff. But if you think that you're going to get by without a multi-movement experience, um, eventually someone's going to get injured they're going to um, burn out they're going to drop out usually because um, you're just building a very shaky foundation
0: yeah no I and I 100% agree with that even just as you're getting older. I mean in Dallas as you talked about it's harder and harder because of the club teams but you think about I mean, for the NFL, for instance, they've they've prided themselves and, and bragged about you know the highest percentage or their high percentage of, of first rounders were multi sport athletes in high school and even just in middle school the the importance of playing soccer, playing basketball in off seasons, helping footwork for football and and other sports. John, in your opinion, what do you think the biggest challenge is right now for youth sports?
1: I think in the United States, the biggest challenge is reconciling the business of sport with the needs of the children in sport because right now those things are very much on opposite sides right what the children need they need multi-sport multi-movement experiences they need trained coaches who are held to a very high standard because they have an incredibly important and impactful job they need leagues and and sporting organizations that make decisions based upon what is best for the needs of the learner, aka the child, and not, oh, well, this makes it easier for the league administrators to run stuff. Um, that's what children need. And what they're given is, you know, little choice because the business of sport says we got to sign up as many hockey players or soccer players or baseball players as possible, as young as possible, so somebody else doesn't scoop them up. Um, they're given oftentimes untrained or poorly trained coaches or coaches who are only trained in the X's and O's of their sport and not in child development and child psychology and understanding who's in front of them. And they're given leagues that keep standings and run national champ like AAU basketball, running national championships for seven-year-olds. And that's a disgrace. That's an absolute disgrace. The fact that anyone partners with AAU that's basically screwing kids over, you know, it's really, really sad.
0: I'm curious with that, with the business side of, of youth sports and the ever just growing cost. Especially from playing multiple sports, the cost seem to get higher every year. Certain families are not at a financial luxury to be able to support that. Have you seen organizations out there that are working to kind of bridge that gap to still allow multiple multi-sport opportunities for kids that perhaps can't afford it all the time?
1: Yeah, we have our YMCAs, we have our local parks departments that are trying to do that. And the ones who are doing it well, we had a guy named Nate Baldwin on our podcast from Appleton, Wisconsin, and they're doing a great job in growing their numbers because they're training their coaches and educating their parents and providing family balance and providing access, regardless of ability or means to pay. And so they're, they're doing really, really well. Um Other organizations do a good job. Uh, You know, a lot of national governing bodies talk a great talk on, we want multi-sport athletes, but the way that's implemented on the local level, they don't really have their thumb on the local soccer club. And that soccer club's doing whatever it wants. So the soccer organization could be saying, we promote multi-sport activity. And the local club's going, yeah, whatever. And no one does anything about it, right? So it looks great on paper but it's really not happening. So it is happening for some organizations that are doing a good job. Certainly Project Play and the Aspen Institute's initiative is highlighting more organizations that are trying to chip away at you know this concept that sport has become about the financial haves and have-nots as well, which is really kind of sad because it really should be about ability and oftentimes it's not. It's about means to pay.
0: I, I'm I I watch just from afar, um, knowing that I'll have kids in the next few years, and then eventually into sports. and And I'm just curious over the next ten to fifteen years what it's going to continue to look like. But at least there's organizations like that involved, and so for any of our parents listening that feel like they're they're struggling to to keep up or, or keep their kid active. Um, uh, John mentioned some great organizations that are out there as well, as local YMCA parks groups that you can check out in your local community, or if you know of one, uh, obviously reaching out to us and letting us know so we can share, uh, John, I would be remiss if I did not talk about this awesome event you've got coming up in August, uh, that I know you, Dr. Jerry Lynch, James Leith are all a part of. Tell us about the way of champions conference that you've got in August. Who's it for? Uh, and what's the goal of the event?
1: Sure. Thanks for the opportunity to do that. So this is actually our fourth one, our fourth year of doing this. Um, It's, it's grown every year, which has been awesome. Last year, we had about 140 coaches from four continents, you know, 10 different countries coming together um, there, there are youth ho- coaches, there are high school coaches, there are college coaches, even some professional coaches or sporting directors from national governing bodies there talking about how can we make sport better. And, and what we really talk about there is Jerry and I started this looking at what's, the, what's missing from traditional coach education because we all get the X's and O's pretty easily but what seemed to be missing was true leadership training so what are the qualities of great coaches and and how can we teach that to people what's also missing is intentional culture building many coaches are never taught how to do that and just leave it to chance or just assume that if I get all the practices and the tactics and the strategy right then um you know, the culture will take care of itself. And it might, or it might in the exact wrong way. Um, And then some other stuff that is really, really powerful that we know in terms of how athletes perform and compete, but coaches are rarely taught about how to do, are things like visualization, meditation, mindfulness, stuff like that, stuff that the top athletes in the world are doing on a daily basis. But a lot of our Grassroots coaches and high school coaches don't have access to that. So we give them an introduction into why that matters, why that's powerful. But really what the conference is about is is connection. We show them what it feels like when, when you connect with your athletes, how they perform and how they feel. And so the whole conference is us trying to make them feel like we would make our athletes feel but then also their interaction and connection with their fellow attendees, the amount of workshop time and, and time to talk. And, you know, James Leith does amazing improv games with them all to go back and use with their program. So we give them all these tools that, that they can use right away that, hey, if you can make your program feel a certain way, you're gonna, your, your athletes are going to perform better. And so that's what the conference is about. Um, most people leave saying I've never been to anything like that before. And can I come back again next year? <laughs> so we get a lot of repeat people who who just say, man, that was the best coaching education weekend I had. I just had a, a ski organization in Colorado because we did it in Colorado last year. And again, this year we're going to do it in Denver. And last year they sent five coaches and this year they're sending like seven more. They're like, all our coaches came back. So it's the best thing they've ever done for their coaching. And now all our coaching staff wants to go. So, you know, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, For us, we keep it small. We keep it, you know, intimate and just tons of connection and and time together. And everyone's on the same path. So there's no breakout rooms. Everyone hears the same stuff and works together for three straight days. And uh, it's a pretty powerful experience.
0: I love it, man. And, and so for anyone wanting to find out more, uh, changingthegameproject.com, WOC conference. You can find it on there. There's uh, accommodation information. There's a way to get tickets. Uh, you can find out more, obviously, about John being on the show today, but the other speakers, James, Dr. Jerry Lynch, Lynn, Kaczmarek, uh, you can get connected with them, find out more. John, how can people get connected and follow along more of your work Uh, to see the work you're doing right now in youth sports for coaches and parents and and just continue to develop and grow uh, in their learning so that they can make an impact on their youth athlete as well as the local youth sports league.
1: Well, thanks again for the opportunity to share that. Um, Certainly the mothership is just changingthegameproject.com. Everything emanates from there. You can connect with our podcast, which is called Way of Champions. The blog is on there. We have a bunch of online courses. You can figure out uh, whether one of our speakers is speaking in your area and you can come see one of our live presentations or, you know, even bring one of us in, talk to your organization. And uh, yeah, we have books. I'm working on another book right now for, for coaches. Actually have uh, five chapters doing three days here. So (laughs) working away on that. My house is a little messy and uh, and I'm just, plugging away on 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 that book which will just be another tool that we're able to provide to the coaches knowing that coaches influence so many people but start with changethegameproject.com or look us up on facebook or twitter or instagram um it's not super hard to find and uh yeah if you want the the 14 minute overview you can just look for john o'sullivan ted talk and you'll find that as well
0: awesome john thanks so much for being on the show this week
1: Man, it was awesome, Jake. Thanks for having me on.